I grew up in Mexico. I grew up in the second most violent neighborhood in the city. The neighborhood where I grew up was uh, very violent. The drugs and alcohol were part of every, every day. Uh, in every corner you can see it. I grew up the uh, first couple years in California. Um, I remember missing school because of the Rodney King beating and the riots. And uh, that was traumatizing for a 10-year-old to have to go through. Um, after that, we moved to Arkansas, where my neighbors were cows and chickens, and everything was safe. Um, it wasn't until I met my husband that life got exciting. We came uh, to plant uh, Grace Point South uh, five years ago. Um, uh, it's a bilingual and multi-ethnic church. And I always uh, said that whenever I go to be a minister, anywhere I go, um, I wanted my church uh, to do something for the community and uh, to speak to those who are around us. Our church is located in the southeast of uh, Fort Wayne, um, and uh, we live in the parsonage, which is right next to church, so we are here. Although lately, really, the um, violence have been very active in this area, specifically here in the southeast. Every time you turn on the news, uh, they always say is it was the southeast where there was a shooting or something. And, and so very specifically, uh, here in our street, just uh, uh, last month, uh, there was a shooting uh, when um, people um, sh shoot at a house and more than 30 bullets, the, the, the police report after, that more than 30 bullets went into the house. And so I was uh, in the living room uh, that day. Uh, it was about 1 a.m. I was uh, watching a game and I remember it was so loud. I went to the floor uh, right away. I didn't know where it was coming from or where they were going. So. Uh, my wife stood up, but she was already uh, asleep, and she came out, and we both called the police, and um, the police came right away, but they didn't catch anybody. So the violence is, is right here. It's where we are. I did not expect uh, the type of neighborhood that we moved into, not at all. When you go to Kroger and there's an armed police officer at the door every night, um, it's a little alarming when um, you go out on your street and you hear bullets. Um, it's a little alarming um, when you know that the house across the street is selling drugs. Um, it's a little alarming. The night before um, the shooting that happened two doors down, um, as I went to bed, um, I was reminded of a story in the Bible, and God spoke to me about being the God who sees me, Elroy. And uh, it was really comforting that night to know that He sees where I am, and He promises that He has a future for me and my children. And so I went to bed not knowing why God was speaking that to me. And about an hour and a half later, I woke up to bullets and it sounded like it was my house. And I thought um, it could be going into my children's bedroom, which faces the street. And God gave me peace that morning. And my husband told me later that day, he says, I've never wanted to move out of this neighborhood, but if you want to, we'll do it. And I told him, you know, God spoke to me and he said that this is where he put us and that we're supposed to do something about that.
Five years ago, when we first came to uh, start the church, the, one of the first things we did is we went out to the neighborhood in knock on doors, and uh, we had a survey. Um, in the survey, there was a question. The question was, what is the biggest need in the community? Uh, the number one answer uh, of the people was, uh, we don't feel safe. Um, we prayed, and we, th we thought, okay, well, what, what could we do? What could we do as a church to help with that issue if we are for the community? I read a book called The Tipping Point uh, with Malcolm Gladwell, and uh, one of the chapters in that book uh, talks about the broken window theory, that when nobody cares in the community, if there, somebody breaks a window and you don't fix it, it sends a signal that nobody cares and nobody really take care of that community, and so it's easy for somebody else to break a second one. Um, the graffiti, if nobody cleans the graffiti, um, it sends a signal that nobody cares, nobody is there, uh, feels responsible for that community. And then we came up with the idea of, um, as a church, uh, doing uh, Adopt-a-Block. So the idea of Adopt-a-Block is that we, as believers in Christ, are going to go out and adopt uh, physically uh, a neighborhood in our area and show them that we care, that their neighborhood is valuable, um, and empower the neighbors to do it for themselves. I thought, you know, if we can help them to build relationships and start to get to know each other. So Adopt-a-Block also uh, is, uh, it's, um, has a purpose of connecting people. When you let the enemy tell you that your neighborhood is worthless or unvaluable or unredeemable, then he's already won. And when you move out for the wrong reason because you think that it's unsafe and, and there's um, nothing that can be done, then you're saying God isn't enough and the enemy has won with that thought. So for us, that means staying in our home in this neighborhood because we know that the Lord can do greater things than the enemy has planned. Good morning. I want to um, confirm to you, from my wife and I, that we are committed to Grace Point. We are committed to the neighborhood where God placed us. Because we believe that God put us there for a reason, to make a difference. And I think I, think I can speak by... Uh, for the, uh, the leadership of the South Campus as well, because I spend time with them. And I can speak from, for them that they are committed to. Those who came to a start five years ago, and they're still there. And those who have joined us also in leadership after uh, preaching and getting in outreach and doing ministry, they're all committed to, to make a difference. The congregation is committed to make a difference because if it's not the church who will make a difference so we are committed one of my goals today is to talk to you about our compassion and ministry center uh, bridge of grace and I am going to give you a little bit of the history and we are uh, where we are and what we are about but before I do that um, I want to point out something that was in, on the video probably heard that my wife says my wa my life wasn't exciting until I met my husband <laughs> wow I just wanted to point out that <laughs> she doesn't say that very often um, 
But I don't say that she's right very often, but she's right. <laughs> uh, let me read a scripture. If you have your Bibles, uh, it's in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen as well. It's Jesus uh, speaking to his disciples. It says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and then he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I leave, you will also leave. On that day, you will realize that I am the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Two thousand years ago, the Christ who always was took in human flesh and he had a body, a physical body. It was through that body that he came into the world to do his work, to carry his mission. His mission was easy to understand. It's simple. He had a mission and his mission was to transform this world as it is into the kingdom of God. That's why he came. Remember, he told his disciples to pray for that. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to get that message. The Christ who always was had a physical body. And through that physical body, he lived out love. He brought hope. He brought joy to a world that needed him. But most of all, he started a movement. A movement that will transform the world as it is into the kingdom of God. That movement, it's called the church. It's you. All of us. He studied that movement. Christ was among us. One day he called his disciples and he said, Men, listen to me. That was the scripture we just read in the chapter 14 of John. I am going to leave you, he says. But if I leave you, I will come again and I will, give, I will be in you. And of course, the, the disciples uh, had a panic. They, 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 were, they, they panicked because they were expecting that he will build his kingdom and that he will be the king. But he says, don't worry. Because I, if you knew why I'm leaving you, you will be glad. You will be thrilled. Because if I leave you, I will come again and I will be in you. Now there is a big difference between Christ being with us and Christ being in us. Agree? There's a big difference. You see, because Christ is always with us. 
But Christ being in us has a lot to do whether or not we receive Him into our lives. That's the way I pray every morning. You see, that is the way I pray every morning. Every morning I welcome Jesus to come into my life. And I say, help me. Help me to build your kingdom today. How can I be more like you today? Who can we touch together? Who can we love together? And we re- I receive Jesus. I welcome Jesus. Some people think that uh, accepting Jesus or receiving Jesus is just one time. And that's it. Right? The other day I was uh, at the clinic, at this clinic, and I went to translate for this person. And there was a girl there, a very young, maybe uh, 18, 17. It surprised me. Uh, this, girl, this girl was very persistent. I was impressed. She had some papers on her hands, and there were a lot of people waiting in, the, in that clinic. And this, this girl had these papers with uh, the four spiritual laws. And she was sharing the gospel to the people who were waiting there. I was impressed. I was just praying for her. I said, yeah, that's great. And she was talking to the people, and she got to this old African-American man who was there. And he touched him, she touched him on his shoulder. And he said, she said, in front of, right in front of him, and she said, excuse me, sir. Are you saved? Just like that. The man's almost waking up, and he said, what, what? Yeah, yeah, I'm saved. I mean, I suppose I'm saved. I guess I'm saved. She said, that's not good enough. Can you tell me exactly when you were saved? The men said, well, not exactly. It was almost 2,000 years ago. But I just found out about it. The men already knew that she was going to come to him. And she was prepared he was already prepared to answer that question. And it's true, you know, I listened to that man, and it's true, you know, that we are saved. It's a done deal. Jesus died on the cross almost 2,000 years ago, and that's a done deal. He saved us. He cleaned our sins when he died. The Bible says that we are saved for what Jesus did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. The Bible says that He will present us clean and He will present us pure before His Father. You know, I love that. I love that because I can only imagine when I get to heaven and Jesus comes to me and, and then He will present or introduce me to His Father. He will say, Father, I want to introduce you to my friend, Javier, the perfect one. <laughs> You know, and I wish that my wife is there. <laughs> I really wish that she's there. She would probably say, well, you don't know him like I know him. Right? <clears throat> See, but there is something more than just accepting the truth that Jesus died for us on the cross. And there, we are saved for what he has done on the cross. You see, there is more than that. It's important to know that. It's important to receive Jesus. Every day we should welcome Jesus into our lives. Every day we should uh, ask Him to come and help us and surrender our lives to Him so that we can be used by Him, so that we can love the way He loves. Every day we should pray and ask God, 
in, can you come into my life and help me make a difference in this world? Help me build your kingdom. Every day we should pray and surrender. You see, if all you do in your prayer life is ask God for stuff, you're in trouble. If all you do in your prayer life is just ask God for stuff, you are no different than my five-year-old son, Israel. You know how your kids never want to go to sleep. I don't know if you have small kids and never want to go to sleep. You tell me, it's time to, time to go to bed. He doesn't want to go to bed. He went to bed, and then we were in the living room. He comes back. He opens the door, comes back, and he was all mad with his hands like that. And he said, okay, I'm going to sleep, but I'm going to be praying. Anybody want anything? <laughs> <laughs> if that is your prayer life just asking for stuff you are not different than him you see it's deeper than that it's deeper than just knowing that God saves you it's deeper than just praying for things and that God will give you things God wants to fill you God wants to live in you and let me ask you a question. When was the last time? When was the last time you waited for Jesus to invade you? And you just stay there and waited for Jesus to invade your life and fill your life. When was the last time you did that? Christ says to his disciples, I am going to leave you, but I'm going to come back. And I will live in you. And you know what happens? According to the Bible. According to the Bible, it says that the same Christ that was living in Jesus 2,000 years ago is the same Christ that lives in you. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, wait, wait, Javier, you're not suggesting. I mean, I'm willing to accept that Christ, the eternal Christ incarnated in Jesus, and he had that power, but uh, you're not suggesting that we are the body of Christ. Well, I read that somewhere. In the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, it says that we are the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and then Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, it says that the same spirit that lived in Jesus is the same spirit that lives in you. Now, let me point out something. When Christ was incarnated in Jesus, he can only connect with one person at a time. Right? When he was looking into the face of Martha... He wasn't looking into the face of John. When he was looking into the face of Mary, he wasn't looking into the, first, the face of Peter. He can only connect with one person at a time. But what is there? A couple hundreds of us here. How many? 300, 400? If Christ is the same Christ that was alive in Jesus, is alive on each one of us, in all of us, how many people can we touch in any given day? The answer is obvious. 400. 300. Because if Jesus, if Christ is the same Christ, the living Jesus is the same one that lives in you. If it's the same spirit, how many people can you touch with your love, with the love of Christ? If we all are the church and we become the body of Christ. See, I think that's why Jesus says that you will do greater things. He said, I'm going to leave you, but it's better. It's better if I leave you. You see, for me, I mean... If Jesus says, I'm going to leave, for me, it's not, it's not good for me. You know, I want to have him there. 
Can you imagine how easy it was for the disciples to share the gospel with others? Can you imagine? I mean, I wish I was there with Jesus. Because if, if I was there with Jesus, you know how easy it was. Hey, do you want to know Jesus? Here it is. <laughs> if he was with me right there, right? Now it's hard. It's hard to explain to the people. But see, he says, it's, it's better for me to leave. Because if I leave, I will send the Spirit. And he will be in you. Not just with you. He will be in you. So he says, you will do greater things. Because I can only be with one person at a time. But you will be with hundreds and thousands of people. You can touch more people than what I did. You can do the work that I did. Loving people. Changing people. Transforming lives. You should do, and you can even do greater things than I do, because I was one, and you are 400. You are 300. You say, well, but I don't act like Jesus. Well, it's about time you start trying to act like Jesus, if that's you. Christ lived out love and compassion. And that's what we are all called to do, to live out love and compassion. When you get it down to the bottom line, it's more than a technique. See, the Christian life is more than just knowing the right things. It's more than just knowing the right doctrine and saying, I know the right doctrine. I know exactly what I believe. It's more than that. It's more than praying. It's love and compassion. So at the beginning, I told you that one of my goals today was to talk to you about the Compassion Ministry Center. And I want to tell you that those two words, love and compassion, are key of why we have a Compassion Ministry Center. So that those churches, um, did you know that the Church of the Nazarene, our denomination, encourage churches who are in the inner city or in challenging areas like the South Campus to start Compassion Ministry Center. They encourage to, for churches to do that because then they can minister the community better. That is the reason we have started Bridge of Grace Compassion Ministry Center. This is what it says uh, on our website. I wanted to tell you uh, who we are. And I thought, well, let's just go to the website. And it explains, and I'm just going to read it to you because it explains exactly what we are about. Bridge of Grace is a compassionate ministry center out of Grace Point Church. We are the the compassionate ministries of Grace Point with the purpose of transforming lives through the power of Jesus. That is our purpose. Bridge of Grace is part of Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. We seek to live and act compassionately in the world following Christ's own life and ministry. We seek to be incarnations of the same gospel that Christ lived and preached, and to be witnesses to the same love and compassion God has for our world. We believe that every follower of Jesus is called to compassion, in their community. Since the earliest days of the church, Christians have been involved in ministry towards the marginalized all over the world. The Church of the Nazarene specifically has affirmed the need for the church to embrace those who have been ignored in society. This charge is not just institutional. It is the personal call of the life of every Christian. So the story behind every ministry that we do under Bridge of Grace has been a result of listening to the community, of listening and asking what, is the, what are the needs in the community. 
We don't want to create programs and then go and find people to come and, and, and attend our programs. We want to listen to the community. We want to make sure that we're doing the things that the community needs. When we first started Grace Point South, as you heard on the, on the video, um, in 2008, a group of people went out to knock on doors and we asked questions. And one of the questions was, what, is, what do you think is the biggest need in the community? Number one answer, I don't feel safe. It's interesting because if you go out again and ask the same question, I'm sure the answer will be the same. We don't feel safe. After that survey, we pray and decided to start the adopt a block program. This program is more than just a beautification program. We are not only helping people to take care of their curve appeal. We are not only cleaning up the parks and the school around us, but we are doing it because we know that that reduces crime. That helps with the crime and then sends a message to the people that somebody cares, that somebody is responsible there. With the increase of violence in the area, we invited uh, the deputy chief of the Southeast Quadrant, uh, Officer Gary Hamilton. And he, said, he came and sat down with us there at the, at the church. He was very pleased that we invited him. We wanted to tell him about our ministry. And by our surprise, for our surprise, he says, well, you know what? I heard about your ministry. And we know that it's making a difference, at least in this area around you. He was Great to hear that. After the conversation, we asked if he thought there were anything else that we can do with the increasing of the violence. Anything else as a church? Can we do anything else? And he said, in fact, as a matter of fact, yes. He told us about this safety inventory that prevents break-ins. This is a list that the police department provides to make your house safer and prevent from somebody to break into your home. And he says, if you can do this with the people around you, you can help them. Maybe they have the materials, maybe they can pay for the materials, but they cannot do it for themselves. But if you can help them, that would be great. The list includes very simple things that you can do to prevent break-ins, like cutting your bushes down to three or four feet so that nobody can hide behind them, uh, having proper locks on your doors and windows, having a motion sensor light on the back of your house, Cutting the limbs of a tree, if you have a tree on the back of your home and you have a two-story home, somebody can climb on the tree and get into your bedroom. These things are mu and much more we will be doing starting next year, including it within the Adopt-A-Block program in partnership with the police department because we want to make a difference and that's one of the biggest needs in the community. We also help to reorganize. This is very important. We help to reorganize the neighborhood association around us. There was a neighborhood association, but it's been inactive for many years. And you know what? There are some of my neighbors who care. A lot of our neighbors have been living there for years, and they are concerned. They don't remember that the, the uh, community is the way it is today, and they want to do something about it. So we said, let's reorganize that neighborhood association, because this has to start with us with the people who live there in that community. So we hosted the first meetings to bring the Neighborhood Association. We announced that we had a very good turnout, the first meeting, almost 40 people from the Neighborhood Association. We invited Officer Joyner, Officer Michael Joyner, the crime prevention. Man, that man, that man he came and said, we invited him to speak, and he 
said, give me the pulpit, I'm going to preach. And he did. He did. He's a great man. He, he got, the, he got a, a, the pulpit, he got in front of the people, and he was talking to the people like, he says, if you think that the problem across the street from the, your neighbor is his problem, it's not your problem, you're wrong. It's your problem too. We're all together. And you have to work together for what is happening here in the southeast. And he started to talk to and encourage people to work together. And you know what? It's true. There are no limits to what we can do when we all come together. The police cannot do it by, by themselves. The, the, the city cannot do it by, by themselves. The, the people in that neighborhood cannot do it by themselves. It's all working together for the same reason. And that's the way that community is going to change. And you know what? You're thinking, well, but is that community is not affecting me. Well, I can tell you for many, uh, for many minutes why it affects you. So many, uh, for, for so many, uh, for a long time to tell you why it does affect you, even if it's in the south, in the southeast. Um, now let me give you a couple of statistics of the southeast specifically, or specifically in our zip code in the 46806 where our south campus is uh, located. Let's start with a, a question, a trivia. Um, just uh, a guessing, if you can guess. Uh, how much do you think a three-bedroom home, a 1,500-square-feet home, will cost in the 46806, which is our zip code? How, many, how much do you think a three-bedroom home in 1,500-square-feet uh, will cost? Any guessing? 45 over here, 35, yes. Between 20 and 35 it will be the cost of a house in that neighborhood. Did you know that almost half... Of their properties, half of the homes are rentals in our zip code, almost half. Did you know that of the 42 homicides so far this year in Allen County, 20 of the victims have been under 25 years old? More than 20 of the 42. And of course, more than half of those shootings have been in the southeast where Grace Point South is located. And as you saw in the video, that video was recorded in the month, the month of June, and that shooting was in the month of May, just two houses or two uh, doors down from us. Here are two of the most shocking, I think, shocking uh, st stats, I think. 50% of the population in our zip code, 46806, are under 27 years old. 50% of the population in the zip code, where we are, are under 27 years old. Are you ready for this one? 60% of the households in the 46806 zip code are single-parent households. 60%, that's almost double the national average. You know what these two, these two statistics tell me? 50% are under 27, and 60% of the households are single-parent households. What the police is dealing with today, it's not going to compare to what they are going to deal with in the future if we don't do anything for the young people in that area. It's not going to compare if we don't do anything for the children and the youth who are going to follow the same path that these other kids under 25 are following. And who is responsible for that 
who is to make a difference for that or do something about that? Is it the government? Is it the city? Is it the police only? God called you, called us as a church to be light and to be salt. God called you and called us to make a difference and do something about the issues. And you know, what God has called us to do, God called us to this place for such a time as this. God has called Grace Point Church to be His body, to be His hands and His feet, to be, his, to be light and to be the incarnation in this community, incarnation of Jesus. And there will be many ways in how you will be able to get involved in the, the near future with the different things that we are doing for the community. But no, you know what? Not just in the southeast, but here too. We have a conversation with Pastor Brady on how can we expand the outreach of uh, the Compassionate Ministries because there are needs everywhere. It's not just in the south part of town. It's everywhere. So there are some conversations and how can we do better in also listening to the community here in the north side and be able to serve and do Compassionate Ministries. So I'm excited for that. It's exciting to hear that. And I want to ask you to, to, to pray. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you too because, you, uh, you know, there are no many churches. In fact, there, I don't know any, of any church in Fort Wayne that is doing what Grace Point is doing. You are unique. It's a unique church who has uh, another campus in the south side and has a mission because you see that there is a place to make a difference. There is no other church that is doing that. So uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank all the volunteers, those of you who come and volunteer for hands-on homework, for Adopt the Block, for those programs. Bridge of Grace is about education. It's one of the biggest uh, focus. The, the greatest uh, focus is education. And I believe education can change and break the cycle of poverty. It did it with me. I am the youngest of six, and I am the only one in my family that went to college, taking my master's right now by the grace of God. And I have two kids, and I'm going to do everything I can for my kids to also go to college because I value education. You see, when you change a, a, a life that, for college, for education, you're not changing just one person, but you're changing a generation, the generation's to come. And so that's what we want to do with hands-on homework. Those of you who volunteer for hands-on homework and are pouring, pouring your life and pouring that, the, the time that you put into these, these kids, helping them with homework and being role models, Christ models for them, you are making a difference because you are inspiring them and tell them you can do it. You can do it. If your parents didn't do it, you can do it. You can go to college. You see, that's the way we can break the cycle. So God called us, and there's so much more that I could tell you. There are many stories of, of the people who have been touched through the ministries, people who got put in our path that are interested in what we're doing, people in the, in the community that are coming, have been coming to listen to our story and what we're doing, and they're interested, interested in what we're doing because it's grassroots. We want that the people in that community that we want to empower them to be able to help themselves, not just doing something for them, but uh, doing something 
that will help them and help themselves. So that's what we are about. There is more. Like I said, I want to end with this uh, story. And then tonight I will share a little bit more about the vision, our mission, what we, where we're going. But I want to end with this story. That was about four, five years ago when it was probably like the summer. It was a year, uh, four years ago, the summer after we started Grace Point South. And um, I saw all these kids during the summer. You know, when there is no school, all the kids are on, on the street. They all have their bikes, and they're all walking, running. And I saw all these kids. Well, I, just, I was new in the community. I wanted to get to know the kids. And uh, some of them called me Father, Father Javier or priest. And, and uh, I started to talk to them, build relationships with them. There was this kid. His name was Quincy, an African-American, a little, little sweet boy. He lived only uh, about a house, or two or three houses down from us. And he was always outside during the day. I even got my grill and I cooked some hot dogs just to get the kids, if they wanted to come, well, they see the smoke and they come right away. But Quincy would come. And one day I was talking to him and I said, Quincy, I see you every day, all day on the street. What's going on? He didn't answer that day. The next day, again, I got my, uh, my grill, and I got some hot dogs, and I got the kids coming. At the end, all the kids left, and Quincy was there. And he said, Pastor, you know you asked me yesterday about why I was in the street all day, every day? And he said, I want to tell you why. He said, well, my mom goes to work at 7.30 in the morning. And when she goes to work, she locks the door and she lets me out. She doesn't get back until 5.30 p.m. So that's why I'm out. Because she's afraid that I will bring my friends in the house and they will steal things. You know, that break my heart. Nine-year-old boy who was forced to be on the street all day. And sometimes you ask yourself, why do those kids take that path? Why do they take that path and are doing these murders and violence and the crime and the robberies? Why do they do that? They are left out to do it. So God called us to make a difference in the lives of those like Quincy. And that's our greatest prayer to make a difference in those lives. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that promise on chapter 14 of John, where you said that you're not going to leave us alone. You'll be with us, and you'll be in us. Thank you for that promise of your Holy Spirit, Lord, who comes and comfort us and affirm and confirm that we are saved. We, sometimes when we are going through struggles, you confirm in our lives that you are with us and you love us. But Lord, there is more than that. You have given us your spirit to also love the people around us. And to model Christ to those around us. So Father, help us as a church to be the body be your hands and to be your feet in the name of Jesus. Amen.
you are dismissed. God bless you.